It is Thursday, June 17th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And we are through player profile, the player profile portion of the annual, annual fantasy calendar. I got to get all my words in order, Jared. It's been a mm-hmm. while since you and I did this. But uh, the profiles are live on DraftSharks.com along with our 2021 projections. Jared, that means it's time to get back to these regular podcasts. And we are jumping back in with our popular annual divisional preview series. I'm ready to go. We're starting with the NFC West, an interesting division. I think a, a lot of teams I've been targeting heavily. I've, I've, been, going, I've been going in hard on these um, underdog basketball drafts. I'll probably be on the clock in a few of them during this podcast. <laughs> so if I, if I stop paying attention, that's probably because I'm making a pick on underdog. Try to ignore them for a little bit. You got time. <laughs> They're definitely interesting teams and a lot of interesting players in this division. That's why we're starting the NFC West. We're going to go through – We'll go through coaching changes. We'll talk about the pass run splits that we use for each team in doing our projections. Talk about some guys we like, some we don't. I got to admit right off the bat, I, did, I had a tougher time picking guys that I hate at cost in this division than I usually do. So, you know, we'll get specific on those as we get to the teams. But let's jump right in with the Arizona Cardinals. No favorites. We're going to go alphabetical order. Arizona Cardinals up first. Jared, what do we have on the coaching change run pass split fronts? Yeah, nothing as far as coaching changes. This will be year three under Cliff Kingsbury, year three under Kyler Murray. The Cardinals made you know a pretty nice step forward in year two last year. They went from 21st in total yards to sixth last year. They went from 16th to 13th in points. They actually dropped a bit from uh, 13th to 19th in Football Outsiders Offensive DVOA. I, I think the most exciting thing, though, is that Arizona went from 22nd in total plays in 2019 to 4th in total plays this past season. They ran over five more plays per game last season than they did in Cliff Kingsbury's first season. And we know, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, we, we expected him to run a fast-paced offense coming in to the NFL. And I, I think that he just they, – they weren't good enough to do that in his first season. Last year they were – you know, again, they were – they ran the fourth most plays. I think they're, again, you know, I would expect them to finish top five in offensive snaps this season. Yeah, we were expecting high play volume when he arrived in the NFL. Not surprising that maybe it went a little slower than we might have hoped when we're talking about a first-time NFL coach, a first-time NFL quarterback. So nice to see some progress on that front. Even with more plays, this is not likely to be a pass-heavy or even pass-leaning offense going forward, though, right? Yeah, the the pass rate dropped from year one to year two. Um, It was 60.4% in 2019, down to 55.8% last season. Arizona did win three more games. You know, they went from five wins to eight wins. That that generally will drop your pass rate a bit. But they also dropped about the same amount, you know, four percentage points in situation neutral pass rate. They went from 60% in 2019 to 56% situation neutral pass this past season. So, you know, that that tells you they they wanted – to run the ball a bit more than they did, even you know, outside of game script. So yeah, I went with um 57% pass this season, you know, kind of splitting the difference, but but leaning more towards what we saw last season. Yeah, even in their seven losses and their one tie last year, they were still short of 60%, just short of 60%, but short of 60% pass, even in those situations where you would expect more throwing. So it is a team that's going to lean run a little bit compared with the rest of the league. I have it 44-56 run pass, so basically the same split there. Um, Switching over to QB notes here, and Kyler Murray drives up that rushing rate a little bit because he will scramble a lot more than most quarterbacks 
tied for third among QBs and scrambles last year, according to Pro Football Focus, one of four quarterbacks with 50-plus scrambles. The other guys who joined him in that group, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, the only other guy at 40-plus, and then just two others at 30-plus. So we're talking about seven total quarterbacks among all of them who reached 30 scrambles. And Kyler Murray was at 51. So even the guys who are just a few spots below him are scrambling a lot less. That doesn't make a giant impact on the team's overall run-pass split. It does boost Kyler Murray's fantasy production, and it kind of makes the passing stuff matter a little bit less. And Murray made some headlines, I think it was last week, saying you know, he wants to run less this season. I feel like that's like a typical you know, June thing we hear from these mobile quarterbacks. I don't, I don't buy it. You know, that's, he's a better runner as a quarterback than he is as a passer. Not saying you know, he's a horrible passer, but he, he's going to run the ball plenty. I think the the you know the week eleven shoulder injury last year was kind of the story for Murray's season. He was he was a different real life and fantasy quarterback before and after that injury. He was uh, second among quarterbacks in fantasy points before the injury. He was just twelfth uh, among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game after that injury. His passing efficiency went down. His rushing volume and efficiency went down after the injury. So um, you know he, he still finished quarterback two on the year, and I think you know he is one of Five, like five or six quarterbacks that has the potential to lead the position in fantasy points this season. Yeah, and if you take out the finale where he barely played, I think he threw 11 passes in that game, he finished second to Dak Prescott in fantasy points per game. So even with that downstretch with the shoulder, he was still a dynamite fantasy quarterback. Did improve across the board as a passer by the numbers last year. There's still certainly room to improve further in that area, but we don't need him to do so to be a top-level fantasy quarterback. That's what he showed us last year. Nothing about the passing numbers from Kyler Murray last year can't be repeated. I mean, he was sub 5% in touchdown rates, so nothing crazy there. The, the biggest number that we have to watch and expect some regression from is the 11 rushing touchdowns. He's probably not going to do that again. We've had 10 quarterback seasons ever of 10-plus rushing touchdowns. Cam Newton has three of those. Um, basically, everybody else just makes a cameo in that area. Six of Murray's touchdown runs came from inside the 10-yard line, four from inside the five, according to Pro Football Reference. And he wasn't running as much in that range as Cam Newton does. Cam Newton beat him last year even, 19-7 to in carries inside the five, 31-14 to inside the 10. So we're not looking at Josh Allen, Cam Newton in terms of a goal line running back. We're looking at somebody who can run, who is fast, who will always give us upside in those categories, but also got a little bit lucky on the touchdown front last year uh, and probably coming down in that area. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, good bet to come down there. It's funny. You mentioned Allen though. I mean, Murray was not on Cam Newton's level around the goal line. No quarterback was last year. Murray though had the same exact number of carries inside the red zone as Josh Allen. One fewer carry inside the 10, it was 15 to 14 and two fewer carries inside the five yard line, nine to seven. So, you know, and if you watch Cardinals games, you know, they, they did use Murray as a runner near the goal line. So he's not going to score 11 times again. But if he scores, you know, seven, eight times on the ground this season, I won't be surprised at all. Yeah, he's certainly a guy who could score the way that Josh Allen does down there. And as I mentioned, the passing touchdown rate was just 19th in the league. So if he balances uh, several fewer rushing touchdowns with some more passing touchdowns, uh, it, it can all even out. Yeah, one more note on uh, for Murray and really the entire offense is Arizona acquired center Rodney Hudson from Vegas this offseason in a trade. He, he looks like a big upgrade over last year's starter, Mason Cole. Uh, Rodney Hudson was 10th among 34 qualifying centers in PFF's 2020 pass blocking grades. Nice. Running back notes, Cliff Kingsbury said early this offseason that he had confidence in Chase Edmonds being able to lead the backfield if that's how things sorted out. 
I think the actions of Arizona this offseason support that. The only addition, James Conner, he signed a one-year deal versus, uh, worth $1.75 million, and that was a month into free agency. So it wasn't like they reached free agency. They were like, we need somebody. Let's get James Conner. It was like, yeah, let's see what's around. Yeah, okay, James Conner is fine. We'll bring him in. I mean, we all know James Conner from the bell cow type of season that he had in 2018, but he's lost three plus games to injury each of the past three years, including that season. Clearly not the player he was that season, even a a big back compliments Chase Edmonds nicely. But I think overall, it was a good offseason for Chase Edmonds' outlook. It was. Yeah. And, you know, the question is still how much of the rushing workload he's going to garner. You know, James Conner, even in what was a pretty disappointing 2020 season, he did beat Chase Edmonds in elusive rating in PFF rushing grade. Um, as you said, you know, he's the bigger back, you know, maybe more built for the early down roll. Edmonds is nice though, because he, he has a nice floor. I think he, he's, you know, locked in as the primary pass, pass catching back for Arizona. He was good there last season, top seven among running backs in targets, catches, receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. He was 16th in yards per target among 41 running backs with 30 plus targets, 15th in yards per route run, seventh in PFF receiving grades. I think you're, you're at least going to get that again. And, you know, that was enough for him to finish as like a, you know, fringe RB two and PPR last season. And then if you can get even, you know, 50, 60, 70 more carries, you know, that only increases his fantasy value. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Connor, a a fine player. He's thicker than Kenyon Drake. I'm not sure he's an upgrade over Kenyon Drake overall, though, definitely cheaper. So that's, I think part of the appeal. I, I, I don't have, big words on James Conner. He's going later in drafts. He's going at an appropriate level. He's a fine guy to put there. I think if you have a team where he ends up being a weekly starter for you, then you're saying I'm going to go forward with weak running backs. Yeah. I mean, Conner's just been in decline since that nice 2018 season, whether you look at elusive rating or PFF rushing grade or football outsiders DVOA. And I, I would kind of expect that decline to continue. But again, as long as he's healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if he you know, edges Chase Edmonds in carries and kind of, you know, kind of going as running back 37. Um, so I, I think there's, there's some, in, I, I haven't drafted him yet, but I also think, you know, RB 37, um, he, he makes some sense there. Yeah. He's not a no touch player. I think he's kind of appropriately valued. And the yep. probably the next running back on that team is Rondale Moore because behind <laughs> James Connor and uh, Chase Edmonds, we've got Jonathan Ward. We've got Eno Benjamin, you know, we'll see if either of them generates any buzz in the summer, but they're probably competing for roster spots. So I mean, I, I'm not interested in anybody else in that backfield right now. And I think the lack of interest in those guys only helps Connor and Edmonds a bit more. Yeah, it definitely adds upside to both of those guys. I mean, we, we did see, we've seen Arizona lean on Edmonds, what, twice or maybe three games even over the last couple of years when, you know, Kenyon Drake or whoever it was, the starter went down. So they, they have been willing to at least in spurts, give him a workhorse role. And I think Edmonds, for what it's worth, is going to look a little bit better once we get to lineup setting time than for best ball, because I don't think that he's going to be a good bet for spike weeks. But I think the receiving role and I guess it's not a fact, but my guess that he's in a better uh, setting for carries this year than he was last year versus Kenyon Drake. I think all that comes together to make him a little bit better of a weekly bet for PPR leagues. Right. Again, I mean, Edmonds finished 25th in PPR points, 30th in non-PPR on just 97 carries. Like, you know, that that's that's an absolute floor as long as he stays healthy this season. And he could easily get to, you know, 160, 170, 180 carries, I think. Pass catcher notes. Obviously, the big guy is DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think you have to sell DeAndre Hopkins and I don't have uh, big words against him this year. Rondale Moore arrived in the middle of round two of the NFL draft, 49th overall. 
played seven total games over his final two college seasons, dominated, of course, as a true freshman in 2018, a special athlete. We've talked about him a lot through prospect season, but he is the big addition to the passing game here. Yeah, and the more I've dug into the Cardinals this offseason, the more optimistic I've gotten on Rondo Moore's 2021 outlook. And the the biggest reason, I think, is just A.J. Green and Christian Kirk were both horrible last season. I mean, if you you watch any Bengals games, you know, Green was so much – less effective than T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You know, he was 82nd in yards per route run among 87 qualifying running backs. And Christian Kirk wasn't much better. 76th in yards per route run among those 87 wide receivers. The other reason I like Rondo Moore too, is because, you know, we, we think Arizona needs to replace Larry Fitzgerald who hasn't officially announced his retirement yet, but I think everyone assumes he's kind of done. You know, Fitz 83% of his snaps in the slot last season Neither A.J. Green nor Christian Kirk has been a primary slot receiver. You know, Green has never been throughout his career. Christian Kirk, just 17% of his snaps in the slot last season. Rondell Moore, 88% of his snaps in the slot over his three seasons at Purdue. So he is kind of like the natural uh, replacement for Fitz in that slot role. So I I think he's going to be that primary slot guy. Then it's going to be Kirk and A.J. Green battling for that other outside spot opposite Hopkins. Yeah, I think Rondell Moore is interesting. I can't say that I'm excited for his fantasy outlook. Uh, AJ Green, his arrival to me, plus the pick of Rondell Moore, basically says see you later to Christian Kirk. I, I, I'm not saying he's going to disappear and maybe he ends up getting targets or a role over either AJ Green or Rondell Moore. You know, one of them gets hurt, one of them struggles a little bit. I'm not saying Christian Kirk is gone, but the moves tell me that the Cardinals would like for Christian Kirk to play a smaller role. And even late last year, I mean, he wasn't playing that big a role. His touchdowns were elevating the perception of what he was doing, I think, beyond what his role was actually uh, giving him. Yeah, I mean, Kirk's had two disappointing seasons in a row now, you know, under Cliff Kingsbury. So whether he's just not good or whether he's just not a good fit in that offense, I agree. Um, I, I think A.J. Green, I'm not interested in A.J. Green, but I think he could definitely out-target Christian Kirk. But, yeah, Rondell Moore's the guy I'm in on. He's wide receiver 60 in ADP. So um, I could see that climbing throughout the summer, but I think, you know, now is a good time to buy him at that price tag. I'm not chasing A.J. Green, but it sounds like I'm more interested in him than you are. Wide receiver 78. I mean, I know that he was inefficient last year, but Joe Burrow also rated poorly as a deep ball passer, and that was where he was targeting A.J. Green. So, you know, A.J. Green clearly near the end, and maybe he doesn't do anything this year, but I think at at least for best ball purposes and where you can get him, I, I certainly think there's upside from where he's going. I can't argue against anyone going at, at wide receiver 78. <laughs> uh, anything else from the pass catchers? No, I mean, you know, tight ends aren't involved in this offense, which again only helps, um, you know, the wide receivers and Chase Edmonds, you know, pick up target share. Yeah, they weren't involved last year. And then the most interesting tight end, Dan Arnold, they just let walk in free agency. So I agree. Only helps the the wide receivers on whole. We'll see if Andy Isabella can get back into the discussion, but I think (laughs) right now he's not really there. Correct. Who I like, not an offense that I'm really targeting all that much, to be honest, because people really like it in general. I mean, Kyler Murray is QB3 an FFPC best ball drafting. DeAndre Hopkins is wide receiver four. Both of those guys, I think, you know, appropriately priced, but there's not value on them where I'm chasing them. Chase Edmonds, RB27, I'm not chasing, but he's in between Javante Williams and Trey Sermon. It's the same range where we haven't projected. So like the other two guys, I think it's appropriate value in drafts. Yeah, Rondell Moore, definitely my favorite target at ADP on this team right now. Kyler Murray is a guy I definitely want shares of. Again, I think he he – could be you know, he has the potential to be the top scoring quarterback this season. And when we see those quarterbacks like three through seven kind of all, always go in different order 
in these drafts. And if you get in enough of them, you're going to get Kyler Murray at quarterback five, quarterback six. Yes, I'm much more interested in Kyler Murray as quarterback five than I am Kyler Murray, you know, standalone draft prospect. Yep. Who I don't, is there anybody here that you're not taking any shares of at all at cost? Kirk and Green are guys, you know, I, I'll usually just find wide receivers I like better even that late. But again, at the price tags, they're fine. I, I just I just think, you know, again, both guys were just bad last year. And I, I think Rondell Moore is going to finish uh, second on this team in targets. I'm out on Christian Kirk. Uh, AJ Green is like, a, okay, I'll take you as my eighth receiver kind of guy. Rondell Moore, I haven't really landed on much, but I have gotten a couple just in case something fun happens with him. You know, I said it earlier, nobody I hate here, nobody that I'm just uh, totally against at ADP. Yep. Los Angeles Rams, the second team in this division to preview. Coaching changes. The passing game coordinator, Shane Waldron, is gone to Seattle. I have no idea what the impact of that is actually going to be. Sean McVay is obviously running the offense there. So, you know, we'll see how important that is. But Waldron was on the staff for the past three years in that role, was the tight ends coach the year before that, the first season that Sean McVay was there, and also worked under Sean McVay in Washington when McVay was the OC. So somebody who has stayed with Sean McVay for a reason. Wes Phillips steps into that role with Waldron gone. He is Wade Phillips' son. He was the tight ends coach the past two years. So it looks like an order of progression here. If you look at where Shane Waldron came from, Wes Phillips also coached in Washington before that, including all three of Sean McVay's OC seasons. So I think overall, if you're looking at Shane Waldron leaving and Wes Phillips moving up, it's tough right now to expect there to be much difference when it just kind of looks like how things go under McVay. Yep, I'm not expecting any change in scheme here. There's no reason for McVay to change anything. It's been a good offense since he arrived. Top 11 in total yards in all four seasons under Sean McVay. The Rams, too, another, you know, like Arizona, a offense I think we can project for a bunch of plays. They've been top eight in offensive plays in three straight seasons now. Run pass split. The Rams have, the Rams have gone sub 57% pass in three of Sean McVay's seasons. This year I landed on 58% run uh, I'm sorry, 58% pass. I think the Matthew Stafford trade indicates to me some potential for a pass volume bump. You know, I, I'm still talking about like middle of the league level of run pass split. So I'm certainly not expecting a pass happy offense, but to me, you don't give up two first round picks and a third to swap quarterbacks to get seven years older at that position to then, you know, run 50% of the time. I'm at 58% pass too. So I think that's settled for all, for all the reasons you mentioned. I do think it's a quarterback upgrade. I think there are still some questions in the backfield and everyone loves Cam Akers, but you know, we, we only saw him in a lead role for, for a handful of games last season. So carry us over into QB, QB notes here. Matthew Stafford, obviously the new guy. What's it mean? I mean, to me, this is easy. Jared Goff's fantasy finish fantasy finishes under Sean McVay 12th, 6th, 12th and 16th last year. I think the eye test says Matt Stafford is an upgrade over Jared Goff. Uh, PFF passing grades say he's an upgrade. Uh, Stafford finished higher than Goff there in two straight seasons and three of the last four. Um, Stafford easily beat Jared Goff in Football Outsiders DVOA in each of the last two seasons. So, you know, if Goff was generally a top 12 quarterback under McVay, I think that that's kind of Stafford's floor. And I think, you know, he could finish inside the top eight. Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, you can look at some numbers that make them look pretty similar in performance, but you also have to remember that Jared Goff was playing for Sean McVay. Matthew Stafford was playing for garbage in Detroit. Uh, Stafford goes to a spot with better wideouts. It's a good spot. Obviously, the Rams believe that they upgraded significantly at quarterback. So I'm going to go with what they think of Stafford. QB 15 last year for Stafford. 
but tied for second in points per game the year before when he missed half the season with injury. QB 20 in 2018, QB 6 in 2017 and 2016. I think you take the high end of that. You look at what Matthew Stafford could be. And in the range where he's going, you treat him that way. It doesn't mean he has to be a target for you, but I'm more interested in the upside of Stafford than I am of, you know, whatever you want to call the downside from his finishes in Detroit. Right. And Stafford is up to quarterback nine in FFPC. I think he was around like 12, 13 early on. So I'm glad I got some Mm -hmm. Stafford there because in quarterback nine, I think that he's fairly priced. I don't think he's a value there as much as I like him in this passing game. I agree. Mostly interested in him at this point if I have taken Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, and I'm not reaching to make that stack, but I think in the range where he makes sense, he gets more interesting versus the remaining quarterbacks or versus waiting on a quarterback if I have uh, one of those wideouts already rostered. Agreed. Running back notes, Cam Akers, we're all excited right now, but if you look back at the whole season, he really let fantasy owners down based on what we were hoping for heading into the last season. Not necessarily his fault, Uh, injuries were definitely a culprit. He suffered that rib injury in week two, left that game after, I believe, three carries, missed the next two games, barely played in the next three, 36 total touches over the next four beyond that. So, I mean, that really stunted his growth for a while. Then week 13 exploded all of a sudden. Another missed game in their mix with an ankle sprain, but Cam Akers was a workhorse down the stretch. Not so much on the receiving side. Yeah, so like you said, we we saw him for six busy games last season and you know, even in those games he, he wasn't great in elusive rating he was kind of average in pff rushing grade and he was playing through some injuries so uh, you know you got, you got to factor that in but again the small sample size is a concern for me the lack of pass catching stuff is a slight concern for me he only saw 14 targets in those six games in a workhorse role um daryl henderson also beat cam Akers last year in pff rushing grade and elusive rating so yeah, i'm not ready to just kind of cast Henderson aside yet and say this is entirely Cam Akers backwards. So I do think there's some risk here. I also think the upside though is, you know, top five. Um, we've seen Sean McVay produce elite fantasy running backs. You know, Todd Gurley in 2017, 2018 was a top three running back. Not sure Akers has the type of pass catching upside we got from Gurley, but I do think he has the same type of rushing upside. You know, these Rams have ranked top 10 in rushing attempts and rushing yards in three or four seasons under Sean McVay. Malcolm Brown is gone. You know, he, he leaves me. He actually led the Rams last year in targets and pass routes, both McVay and uh, Rams beat writers have talked up acres of building the passing game. So it sure sounds like he's headed for, you know, a pretty workhorsey role. I just, I kind of want to see it first at the price he's going. There's a couple of running backs going behind acres that I, I like better. So I just haven't ended up taking too much of them so far. The issue with him for me is the range and who else is there um, and where he's going to go, I think, draft to draft, because there will be drafts where he's in the second half of round one. There will be others where he's closer to the middle of round two. So, you know, that's more of a draft to draft question. It's It'll be interesting to see whether we get more of a workhorse running back here versus kind of the committee approach that it was last year. You know, maybe that was Cam Akers being hurt. Maybe that was Sean McVay. Uh, just going with what he had versus when he had Todd Gurley before and working Todd Gurley to death. I would expect that we won't get quite that level of workload after seeing it wear down Todd Gurley and maybe not wanting to break down Cam Akers. But at the same time, you know that you've basically got a running back for that first contract and then probably not much beyond that. So it kind of behooves a coach to go ahead and work a guy a lot. Daryl Henderson, through like the early to mid part of last year's schedule, started to take over the backfield, at least from a workload standpoint. You know, that was while Cam Akers was hurt. 
Daryl Henderson's workload dipped with a week eight quad issue, and he never really rebounded from that. It's tough to know how much of that was physical because it didn't cost him any further games beyond that. Uh, and it was still a few weeks before Cam Akers really took over. So, you know, we still have to watch these guys uh, work together and see how the work gets split between them. But as you mentioned, Sean McVay has been doing nothing but talking up Cam Akers this offseason. So you have to assume that Cam Akers is at least the clear leader, and we'll see how high that climbs. Henderson also ended last season with a high ankle sprain in week 16, cost him the finale, cost him both playoff games. And then even in spring workouts, he's been limited. Um, They're not specifying the injury as far as I could see, but I mean, I think we have to assume it's related to that ankle from the end of last season. He's expected to be ready for the start of training camp, but we'll have to at least keep an eye to make sure that Daryl Henderson's good physically. Basically, there's a lot of speculation here based on what we've gotten from the Rams the past couple of years. Todd Gurley flaming out quickly, then last year's committee that has lost a member. Sean McVay talking up Cam Akers. They did take Cam Akers in round two last year, their first pick of that draft, with Henderson and Malcolm Brown already in place. So, I mean, overall, Sean McVay's words and his actions suggest that they really do like Cam Akers as much as he's saying. Yeah, and that you know that's definitely if I had to bet, it would be you know Acres in a pretty dominant role as far as you know share of the backfield work. But I, I think there's a chance that Henderson you know sees enough to you know maybe be a fringy fantasy option. At worst, I think he's a, a strong handcuff. As you mentioned, he you know had that lead role from week seven or f- sorry from week two to week seven last year. And over that span, he was a top fifteen running back across fantasy scoring format. So you know we, we've we've seen it. Worst case, if Akers goes down, I think you have, you know, at, at least a solid RB2 in Daryl Henderson. Yeah, I think Daryl Henderson is at least Latavius Murray here. Yeah. Um, I think the you mentioned the upside on Cam Akers. I think the ceiling is maybe we get, you know, Jonathan Taylor from late last season, albeit versus not as easy a schedule, but that kind of workload, that kind of production. It's worth noting, too, the Rams had the second smallest running back target share in the league last year, though. That was even up from 2019 when they were last in the league in running back target share. In 2018, it was the 10th smallest. 2017, it was the 12th smallest. So we got used to Todd Gurley getting plenty of receptions, but this is not a team that has been near the top of the league in throwing the ball to running backs. I certainly don't think that going from short arm Jared Goff to big arm Matthew Stafford is going to help that. That doesn't mean there's not enough receptions to support Cam Akers, but it means that it's it's not necessarily a ceiling area. I don't think Cam Akers is a candidate for really 50-plus receptions this year. I agree. I think that's where Akers falls short of Gurley's upside. You know, Gurley averaged 5.8 targets per game across th- 2017 and 2018. I, I don't, I'd don't. i be surprised if Akers gets there. Um, I think you know it's, it's, it's more the, the rushing upside that makes him exciting. Uh, before we get to the pass catchers, I think Akers' ADP – it's right in line with our projection. Uh, I think that there's more separation between him and Jonathan Taylor than there should be. But that to me is more of me thinking that Jonathan Taylor is a little bit overrated than um, Cam Akers being underrated. I think that they both belong right around that one, two turn and, and preferably in the beginning of round two. I think looking at other running backs in that range, if Aaron Rodgers goes, I'll take Cam Akers over Aaron Jones. I will mm-hmm. take uh, Zeke Elliott though, over Akers. I'll take Austin Eckler over Akers. Most of the time, not 10 times out of 10. Then I think it gets close when you're looking at Joe Mixon, and I would take Cam Akers over Najee Harris and Nick Chubb. Yeah, Mixon and Eckler and Aaron Jones are the guys who right now I'm taking over Cam Akers. You know, Jones, I'd have no issue taking Akers over Jones just because of the uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers. But Eckler, you know, in in, in a full PPR league and Joe Mixon, those those are the two reasons really I haven't drafted much Cam Akers yet. 
Pass catcher notes, Robert Woods delivered once again last season. Wide, wide receiver 12 in PPR points, wide receiver 18 in points per game. Tied for 12th of the position in targets, added 155 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. That's the third straight season that he has had 100-plus yards rushing and at least one rushing touchdown. Cooper Cup beat him in fantasy points per game in 2018 and 19, but not last year. Woods, I think, is the slightly better target bet, although they're basically even in that area. And I think what Woods has on Cup is a likely deeper A dot. That was not the case last year, but Robert Woods has declined in that area each season since arriving with the Rams. 11.3 his first year with LA, 10.9 after that, 8.4, and then down to 6.7 last year again. That was shorter than Cooper Cup, but I think we're going to see a bigger rebound in depth of target for Robert Woods with the quarterback switch this year. Yeah, career lows in yards per catch and ADOT for Robert Woods. I, I think that was a, a Jared Goff thing, not a Robert Woods thing. Matt Stafford willing to throw downfield more than Jared Goff, better throwing downfield more than Jared Goff. So I think you know that that's a boost to Robert Woods. It's it's you know kind of the same argument as Matt Stafford is. I think it's just kind of simple with Woods. Like he's been a high end wide receiver too past three years with Jared Goff. Now he's getting a quarterback upgrade. I don't really see a reason to think he can't finish there again. Cooper Cup's touchdowns fell off last season. He averaged five touchdowns inside the red zone over his first three years, had just two of them last year. His total targets and his catch rate dipped in that range. I think, you know, the catch rate can just be a fluky kind of thing. The targets should be back up, I think, under Stafford. I think it improves the whole offense, thus presenting more scoring opportunities. And just like Robert Woods, not to the same degree, but Cooper Cup's dot has also decreased each year. 9.6 in his first season, down to 8.8, 7.3, 7.0 last year. I think, again, I think a bigger rebound for Woods, but I think we should also see a rebound in that area for Cooper Cup. And more yards can only help a wideout. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cup's a better rebound candidate even than Woods just because of those um, the the touchdowns last season. You know, 3.3% touchdown rate, which is well, well below league average and well below what he had in 2019. So, like that again, he's getting a quarterback upgrade. I, I think you know the, the only re- the only reason Woods sets, sits ahead of Cup in our rankings is the rushing. You know, the Rams don't use Cup nearly as much on the ground as as they do Robert Woods. So, I, I do prefer. Robert Woods straight up, but I think, you know, Cup going about a round later, four wide receiver spots later, he might actually be the better value among these Rams wideouts. And I think the rushing stuff's going to create a bigger, um, it's going to make it look like the gap is bigger between them because when you're looking at a week to week comparison between them, I mean, we're talking about less than 10 yards per game, most likely for Robert Woods. So it's not the kind of thing you predict and bake into his weekly value. It's by the end, there are going to be a couple of touchdowns, but not the kind of thing you can predict. Yep, exactly. I'm really not interested in any other Rams wideout beyond those two. I mean, maybe at the end of a best ball roster, I'll take Deshaun Jackson or Van Jefferson. I'm I'm going Deshaun Jackson first just because when Deshaun Jackson is healthy, he's the deep ball guy. He has never not been that guy. So if I'm taking him at all, I'm going to assume that he's on the field. I'm going to assume that the team brought him in to do the thing that he's always done and that he will have a few spike weeks. Yeah, so I, I'm interested to see who wins this number three wide receiver job. You know, I, I haven't been targeting any of these guys heavily yet because I'm just not sure who it's going to be. But, you know, Josh Reynolds as the third wide receiver last year saw 81 targets. Gerald Everett's also gone. He leaves behind 62 targets. And I don't think Tyler Higby is going to snatch up all of those. I think there's opportunity for a third wide receiver to, you know, be a fringy fantasy option. I hope it's DJX. I think he's a perfect fit. He, like, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup aren't deep guys you know djx is so i think he's a good compliment i think he he meshes well with matt stafford who again likes throwing downfield is good throwing downfield 
DJX hasn't been able to stay healthy throughout his career. Hasn't been able to stay healthy the last two years. He'll be 35 this November. So you can't count on him to play a full season, but you know, I hope it's him. Um, the Rams, of course, drafted Tutu Atwell in the second round uh, this year. They drafted Van Jefferson in the second round last year. I've heard, you know, some buzz from Rams people that think Van Jefferson is the favorite for the number for the number three wide receiver job. So again, it's something we'll have to monitor in camp for now. You can just take late shots on these guys and kind of, you know, hope you find the third uh, wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a little bit more interested in either Jackson or Jefferson. If I already have Robert Woods or Cooper cup, you know, you get kind of the handcuff upside, sure. just the, that kind of correlation. Of course, if you already have Stafford as well, I think if you look at all the moves, the round two picks on wide receivers each of the past two years, Deshaun Jackson signing, it points to them wanting to get downfield more and maybe wanting to throw a little bit more than they have the past year or three. Yep. Otherwise, pass catcher Tyler Higby is the big name we got to talk about. It can only help that Gerald Everett is gone, but they did add the couple of wideouts that we just talked about. They added Jacob Harris in round four of the draft. Bryson Hopkins is around after he arrived in round four last year. Higby's playing time stayed up last season closer to how he finished 2019, not quite at the same level, did dip slightly. Um, the Rams have also been well up in tight end target share the past two years versus the first two years of Sean McVay being there. Those offseason moves that we were just talking about with the wide receivers might suggest that the Rams would prefer to shift some of that back toward wide receiver and away from the tight ends. Yeah, again, I don't expect Higby or even the tight ends in general to soak up all of those uh, targets ever at least behind. I think I think we'll see more going to the wide receivers and maybe even the running backs this season. You know, that said, Higby should easily beat his volume last season. And volume was the problem for him. He saw 60 targets. That was just 21st among tight ends. But he was still efficient. Fifth in yards per target, seventh in yards per route run among 35 qualifying tight ends. Again, it was just he didn't see enough volume to be reliable. I do think that should change this season. And remember, you know, we, we saw Tyler Higby without Gerald Everett back in 2019 for that five-game stretch, and he was just – out of this world, he led all tight ends in, in fantasy points pretty easily. So, you know, that, that upside probably isn't there, but I do think he 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 has the upside to, you know, be a top five, six tight end this season, you know, if, if he can, uh, you know, capture most of those targets that Everett leaves behind. Yeah, he's tight end 10 in FFPC drafting right now, tight end nine in our PPR projections at the moment. The I think the thing working in his favor the most probably for fantasy is that that whole range is just a jumble. I mean, the tight end's beyond for me the top eight in ADP just looks like a pool of players I think guys like Blake Jarwin Rob Gronkowski Gerald Everett Eric Ebron Chris Herndon all those guys are going late I wouldn't be shocked if any of those guys lands in the top 12 I think Tyler Higby could disappoint again but he could also as you said make it into the top six based on opportunity it's worth noting that both Bryson Hopkins and Jacob Harris are similar in style to Gerald Everett in that they're faster than the average tight end they're clearly more receiver than blocker but Mm -hmm. We're also talking about a second-year guy and a rookie, the rookie who is converting from wide receiver. So we can't assume that either one is going to get as much as Gerald Everett leaves behind uh, with the Rams. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I don't have more Higby is because Noah Fant is going in basically the same range, and I've mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I've, I've probably been splitting my shares between those two, and I'm taking a tight end in that area. I think you know th- those two are my favorite breakout tight end candidates this season. Who I like. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, plus Matthew Stafford in a best ball lineup. I think that's my favorite from this team. And I, I will stick with either Robert Woods or Cooper Cup once we get to lineup setting time, too. 
Yeah, I like Woods at cost, I like Cup at cost. I like Higby at cost. I think Akers and Stafford are like fairly priced now. I don't think you're getting a discount on either guy, but I do think they have the upside to, you know, still return a profit. And, and again, even Daryl Henderson, I think if you're looking for that handcuffed, I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be a standalone fantasy option. I do think he's a handcuff, but I think he's a nice handcuff where he's going in the uh, 12th round. Yeah, and especially attractive in the current draft climate for best ball teams. Yeah. Uh, who I don't like, there's really nobody that I'm avoiding at cost. If Cam Akers is in round one, as I said, I'm probably not taking him there, but I'm fine with him in round two, so it's kind of nitpicking. I can't argue with you too much if you're like, nah, I'm taking Cam Akers over Zeke Elliott after what we saw last year. Yep, same here. San Francisco 49ers, Jared, any relevant coaching changes on this front? A few minor ones. I don't think any that are going to have a real big impact because Kyle Shanahan is back for his fifth season here, and it's it's his offense. They did lose Mike Lafleur, who was passing game coordinator. He you know took the Jets' offensive coordinator job. Uh, Mike McDaniel, who had been the run game coordinator for the 49ers, was promoted to offensive coordinator. But again, you know it's Kyle Shanahan's offense. I don't expect much to change. It's been a good offense, uh, top half of the league and in total yards in all four years under Kyle Shanahan, despite, you know, what's been kind of a, a revolving door at quarterback and, and some shoddy quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And good in DVOA each year. So, I mean, you can look at measures that say that the offense might be a little overrated and maybe it is just the way we talk about Kyle Shanahan, but it's a good spot for efficiency and especially a good spot when you consider the quarterbacks they've had and the running backs they've had, they've been getting good numbers out of mediocre to even poor players by, you know, other franchise standards. So what about run pass split? Yeah, th- this is the toughest team to project because I, I, it comes down to how many games Trey Lance starts. Um, you know, I, I think you could see them near 50, 50 run pass split with Lance in there. I think if it's Jimmy Garoppolo, you're talking, you know, 57, 58, 59% pass. So, you know, you know, right now we have Lance projected to start 13 games. I have the Niners at a 54% pass rate, but that, that's definitely going to change throughout the summer as we get a better idea of, you know, when, when Trey Lance will be ready to start. I'm at 43.57 run pass. Um, just looking at what Kyle Shanahan's done so far, he was about 61% pass in 2017, his first season there, about 58% the next year, 51% in 2019. That was the year they went to the Super Bowl. So they won, I believe, 13 games that season. That certainly lowers the passing rate. And then back to about 58% last year at six and 10. So I think it'll be lower than 57% if they are 500 or better. I agree with you that if we get more Trey Lance, it's going to be a little bit more run than pass. Whatever the case, I think this team is is trying to finish in the bottom half of the league. They're going to be one of the more run-leaning teams in the in the league. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if we knew Lance was under center week one, what, what do you think you'd project them at for pass rate? I mean, it would. Pr- I probably wouldn't go below 55-45 just because with Trey Lance as a first-time starter at quarterback, I'm not assuming that they're going to be 500 or better. So I think that that drives up some of the passing volume. And I think that that – I think 55-45 would be high for run rate if I'm looking at a team that I expect to be 7-9 and nine or worse. Yeah, that's a good point about the record. Um, but I, I do think they would try to lean heavily on the run. You just and we'll, we'll get into Lance here, but – you know, how good he is as a runner and also just how inexperienced he is as a passer. Like I, you know, I, I think they'd really try to lean on him and the rest of the running game. Well, let's go to QB notes. Now, why don't you start us off with those guys? Trey Lance, you know, who the Niners made that big move up to select with the number three overall pick. Um, it's just a super interesting prospect. I mean, he, he 
spent just one season as a starting quarterback in high school and then made just, you know, 14, uh, you know, just one full season worth of starts at North Dakota state, you know, an FCS level school. So, you know, very inexperienced, but you know, scouts love him. You watch him. He, he's a, a fun watch with the athleticism and the arm. Um, but again, just, you know, the, the inexperience. So when is he going to be ready now? 14 quarterbacks were selected with top five picks between 2011 and 2020. Nine of those 14 guys were named their week one starters and 11 of the 14 started at least 12 games as rookies. So, you know, general history would say that Lance is going to be in there, if not week one by, you know, the start of October. But I do think he he's an interesting case just again, because we've, we've, he's just played so little football. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really an unknown. We can, we can, speculate on whatever we want here, but it's very different than a lot of situations. Kyle Shanahan, for what it's worth, said recently that Lance is really going to have to bring it basically this summer to push Jimmy Garoppolo out of the starting role that currently it's Jimmy G. Um, not He hasn't said quite the same thing as Matt Nagy in Chicago, where he's like, no, Andy Dalton's going to start and Justin Fields is not going to win the job in training camp. Kyle Shanahan hasn't said that as far as I've seen, but I do believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is in that seat unless Trey Lance really wows them in training camp and the preseason and shows that he's ready to take over. Garoppolo hasn't accomplished as much as Andy Dalton, but clearly the Niners have liked him to this point. I mean, they traded a second round pick to get him uh, a few years ago. He's in season four of a five-year contract now that's worth $137.5 million. They could have dumped him for if nothing else, a lot of cap space this offseason, according to Spot Track at least, and they didn't. So they're keeping Garoppolo around because they believe that he helps the team at least until Trey Lance is ready. And Garoppolo's been solid. 5.2% touchdown rate in his time with the 49ers, 8.3 yards per pass attempt, 67.5% career completion. So, I mean, he's a limited quarterback, and picking Trey Lance at, at uh, three certainly shows that they believe they're upgrading and moving to Trey Lance. But Garoppolo is not a schlub. He can play. And I would not be shocked if he opens the season as the starter. I wouldn't be shocked either. I, I would be shocked if I'd be shocked if he starts more games than, than Trey Lance this season. I just think, you know, that how the Niners obviously love Trey Lance to make that move and take him through overall. He obviously has upside and really, you know, Gar- Garoppolo's success in this offense makes me like Trey Lance more. I mean, whoever's been under center in San Francisco under Shanahan has, has been pretty efficient. I mean, you even look at some of Nick Mullen, CJ Beathard, some of their games. I mean, they, they've had nice numbers in this offense. I think it's a good situation for Trey Lance and you get really, it might, it might be the best pass catching court too, that Shanahan has had with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. Um, you obviously Trey Lance is rushing upside and Shanahan, by the way, has experience with a quarterback like Trey Lance. He was the offensive coordinator for Robert Griffin in his first two seasons in Washington. RG three finished quarterback seven as a rookie. He was quarterback 13 in fantasy points per game. So, you know, Shanahan has experience kind of molding his offense to a quarterback like this. So um, Trey Lance, definitely a guy I'm getting pieces of in these best ball drafts. Cause I do think he's going to be useful. If I had to bet money, I would bet on Trey Lance starting more games than Jimmy Garoppolo this year, but it would not surprise me at all if we get a situation kind of like when Donovan McNabb entered the league and he started late in the season. Um, It wouldn't shock me if we get the ultimate Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes scenario, especially if the Niners start Garoppolo and they're successful, because this is a team that's built to be solid, too good. I mean, it's just two years ago they made the Super Bowl. I think that they could start Garoppolo and be leading the division at some point. And then how do you switch to a rookie quarterback if you're sitting at like, I don't know, eight and three 
and, and things are rolling. So I, I'm not going to be shocked by anything. I think the whole situation makes me a little bit more wary of drafting Trey Lance for a best ball lineup, unless I'm taking a third quarterback. Once we get to lineup setting, I think there's not a whole lot of risk. And if we're still in the same situation and Trey Lance is like quarterback 16, go ahead and take him there. Take him as your second quarterback, take him as your first, and then, you know, follow with somebody like, um, I don't know, Kirk Cousins nearby. And if Trey Lance is not the starter for the first month or whatever, you can dump him and pick up something else or, or yeah. treat it however you want. Well, Lance is quarterback 23 in the FFPC best ball data we have. I know he's going much higher in underdog. I think he's like mm-hmm. 14 or 15. Um, I think, you know, that that becomes a bit more debatable when you have to, you know, spend a top 15 quarterback pick on a guy who, again, you know, like you said, might might not start a whole bunch of games this season. But at quarterback 23 in FFPC, I think he's an easy pick there. I, I, I feel confident he's going to be a top 12 scoring fantasy quarterback when he's on the field this season. I agree with that, and especially if it's a 28-round FFPC draft where there's plenty of room to add that third. I will say I I prefer, even despite the coach's words, I prefer Justin Fields to Trey Lance because I think that there is a clearer path for Justin Fields to overtake Andy Dalton than for Trey Lance to overtake uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Both, I, I expect the Niners to be better than the Bears this year, and I think at this stage in their careers, Garoppolo is a better player than Andy Dalton. I also think that Justin Fields – Seems like he's probably more pro-ready. That's the part where I'm saying I, I know that I don't ultimately know, and it's going to depend <laughs> on what the coaches think. Yeah, I would think Fields is more pro-ready, too, you know, spending that time at a big program like Ohio State, making a bunch more starts than, than Trey Lance. And I, I do think Lance is in the better situation, but I, I value them pretty equally. And, I'm, again, I'm, I'm taking – quite a bit of both of those rookie quarterbacks in these best ball leagues, even though we don't know they're going to be under center for week one. Cause I just do, I, I do think they're going to be quarterback ones when they're on the field this season. Yeah. There's big upside whenever they do get on the field running back notes, Jeff Wilson jr. Looks like he's going to be out through at least half of the regular season after that meniscus terror. So, I mean, he's out of my fantasy plans for now. Raheem Mostert limited by a knee issue in spring workouts. Uh, we really might not know what this backfield looks like for quite a while. So Trey Sermon, is kind of quietly climbing right now. There's a little bit buzz, but it's not too loud. He's easily the highest drafted back of Kyle Shanahan's tenure in San Francisco. But before you get overly excited about that, and I think we're all a little bit excited, the next highest drafted running back on that list is Joe Williams in round four in 2017. And that's a guy that some of us got a little bit excited about. And we're saying, well, Kyle Shanahan picked him. He's going to lead this backfield. Joe Williams has yet to carry a ball in the NFL. So, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on Trey Sermon. I like him. He tore it up late in his final season at Ohio State. Had a little bit more trouble emerging before that. So I, I just want to make sure I don't get too excited about Trey Sermon. Yeah, a, a good prospect. You know, not not a great prospect. I think he, I, to me, he was a better prospect than, than Joe Williams. But the Niners traded up to select him, as you said, with that 88th overall pick. You know, he's six foot, 215 pounds, 90th percentile relative athletic score. So, you know, checks those boxes. He also ran a similar scheme at Ohio State as he'll be running under Shanahan in San Francisco. Um, we, we've heard, um, you know, some of the Niners coaches, you know, talk about that. And, you know, it, it sounds like they think he will hopefully be ready to, you know, play a p- pretty big role right out of the gate. Yeah. Worth noting Raheem Mostert, 20th in rushing DVOA last year, according to Football Outsiders, among 47 qualifying backs. He led the position in that category the year before. So Raheem Mostert is a pretty good player, or at least a pretty good player in Kyle Shanahan's scheme over the past couple of years. So don't rule him out just because he's limited already. Wayne Gallman's around. We'll see what that means. Sixth round pick, Elijah Mitchell's there. But I think that the big things are how Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon fit together. At this point, with where Trey Sermon's going, I don't think it's too early. It's crept up, 
but he's still just outside of RB2 range. If he is the lead back, even if it's not, you know, workhorse level, even if it's just the guy getting more carries in San Francisco, there's certainly upside well beyond RB28. Yeah, Mostert's interesting. I mean, he his production has been awesome under Shanahan the past two seasons. 5.4 yards per carry over the past two seasons. That's second best among 76 qualifying running backs over that span. It's just, it's just a, how much is him and how much is the scheme? Moser has led all running backs in yards before contact per attempt in each of the last two seasons. I, I think he gets some credit for that because he has to, you know, find the hole and you know, maybe avoid the, the first guy to, you know, pick up those yards before contact. But I do think the scheme has a lot to do with that. Moser has had trouble staying healthy. You know, he dealt with a couple of different injuries last year. And just the fact that the Niners went out, signed Wayne Gallman, drafted Trey Sermon, drafted Elijah, Elijah Mitchell. And that kind of tells me that they at least don't want to have to lean on Moster as their clear lead guy. Um, so I, I think Sermon definitely has a chance to you know lead the backfield and carries right out of the gate. I mean, I think their actions every single year show that they don't want to lead on one, lean on one clear guy. So that, that makes this whole backfield a lot more interesting for best ball drafting season than it does for lineup setting, because obviously somebody's going to score points regardless of format, but it's going to get more frustrating to decide week to week who that guy is, unless we have injuries kind of winnowing the field yeah. here. Yeah. So I, I, I'll say I do expect this to be a committee backfield for most if not all the season, but we, we do have some history of Kyle Shanahan leaning on a clear lead back Carlos Hyde in Shanahan's first season with the 49ers carried 240 times. He finished RB nine that season and half PPR points. And even before Shanahan came to San Francisco, he had a top nine half PPR running back in four of his previous nine seasons as a offensive coordinator or head coach. So, you know, he he has been willing at at times to lean on one guy and not, you know, have this two, three, four man committee. It sounds like the year that he inherited a team. And then before that, when he was working for somebody else though, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think he had, he had control over a bunch of those offenses um, in like Washington and uh, Cleveland. I mean, with his dad as the head coach, I think, I think anybody who's worked for their dad can might question that. True. <laughs> anyway, it'll be interesting to watch. And I don't think the Trey Sermon's going too early to be uh, worth taking re- regardless of format. I, I might be a little bit more apprehensive for lineup setting, but he certainly can work from RB 28. And if you are not getting great value from your round six pick, that's not going to kill your season. Yep. Pass catcher notes, Debo Samuel, 2.16 average depth of target last year. That's less than half of the nearest wide receiver in those rankings, which was Isaiah McKenzie, roughly one third of the nearest wide receiver with 40 plus targets. And even if you look in that group, the closest guys are Greg Ward, Larry Fitzgerald, LaVisca Chenault, Hunter Renfro, Juju Smith-Schuster from last year. So not the kind of territory we want a wide receiver to be in for maximizing his fantasy potential. The year before that, Debo Samuel's dot was 7.6 though. So that's nearly quadruple what it was last season. He broke his foot last June. We kind of knew to be apprehensive on him heading into last season. And then he dealt with hamstring trouble throughout. So we might end up seeing after 2021 that last year was just a throwaway. We can't take anything from it. And it's going to be different from that. It at least though gives me a little bit of pause wondering if he's going to be that short range of guy going forward. Yeah, and I know in general we want our wide receivers getting targeted downfield, but I mean, I, I don't know, at least in full PPR, like those short targets, it, it lays a nice floor because they obviously are high completion targets. And for someone like Debo where, you know, he, he's obviously at his best after the catch, I don't, I don't mind. I don't want his usage that extreme. I don't want his eight out to be at two 
you know, if it's at, at five or six, um, I think that's okay. I think that's how he should be used. I think, you know, Kyle Shanahan knows how Debo Samuel should be used. Durability, obviously the concern here, even before last season, he, he dealt with a bunch of hamstring injuries. Um, he missed time with me as a rookie in 2019, dealt with a bunch of hamstring injuries at South Carolina. So durability is the concern, but I mean, they got, the guy's been good when he's been healthy. He was uh, 31st among wide receivers in PPR points as a rookie in his five healthy games last season. He scored at a uh, pace of wide receiver 25 in PPR. And in there, you know, it was only four healthy games together last season, but Debo Samuel out-targeted Brandon Ayuk 28-25 in those four healthy games. So we can get we can get into Ayuk here, but um, I think the, the gap in ADP should not be nearly as big between those two guys. The year before, Samuel's wide receiver 36 in points per game as a rookie in PPR scoring. That was with three rushing touchdowns, so that certainly helped. Um, just one game of more than one carry last year. Again, we might end up looking back and seeing that 2020 was a complete throwaway because of his injury situation, um, but we, we don't know at this point, so we're, we're speculating. Brandon Ayuk was awesome last year. Wide receiver 19 in PPR points per game, you mentioned. Didn't share the field with Debo a lot. Also was missing George Kittle a lot, so... He turned it on from week seven forward, but that's right when those guys were uh, iffy or gone. Brandon Ayuk, excellent as a first-round rookie, but it's a very different situation for uh, target volume going forward. Yeah, I mean, Ayuk definitely benefited from those injuries too. You know, Debo Samuel missed nine games, was limited in two others last year. George Kittle missed eight games. So Ayuk saw 10.1 targets per game over his final seven last year, you know, when, when he scored as a wide receiver one. But again, Samuel out-targeted Ayuk in their two healthy games together. George Kittle easily out-targeted both these wide receivers um, in their three healthy games together. It was 25 targets for Kittle, 19 for Debo, 16 for Brandon Ayuk uh, in those three games last season. Debo also beat Ayuk in yards per route run and PFF receiving grade last year. Ayuk was just sort of average in those metrics. And he was a rookie, you know, so it was it was a promising season. But again, Ayuk's going wide receiver 24 Debo's going wide receiver 37. I think those guys should be much closer in ADP. And we had uh, iffy to bad quarterback play. Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt and also not performing great at times. Uh, Nick Mullins is gone. So, I mean, clearly can't fully judge Brandon Ayuk on, on anything, good yep. or bad, from last season. There's a lot of things that we're kind of waiting to see. George Kittle is the big factor here. He lost eight games to injury last year, lost weeks two and three, went on IR for six games in the middle of the season. Average 79.3 yards per game when on the field. Over a full season, only Travis Kelsey would have had more receiving yards at that pace. Only Kelsey and Darren Waller beat him in receptions per game among tight ends. Kittle was third in PPR points per game, closer to Waller at number two, 1.8 points per game behind Darren Waller, 3.4 ahead of number four, Mark Andrews. So that's why it's the top shelf right now. Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, in spite of the injury history for George Kittle and I mean, there's still upside for Kittle in his career touchdown rate. He scored on 4.2% of his receptions last year for his career. He scored on 5.3%. Maybe that just stays a weakness throughout his career for whatever reason, but I doubt it. I mean, he's a big, fast, athletic guy on a team with wideouts who are relatively not as good when you're comparing um, you know, Kittle versus his tight end peers with the Niners wideouts versus their wide receiver peers. Kittle's the, the the giant here. Yeah, definitely room for growth in the touchdown department. I mean, Kittle has just been the most efficient tight end in football uh, for the past three years now. He's led all tight ends in yards per route run in three straight seasons. Leads the position in yards per target over those three seasons. He, he you know he just he doesn't have 
the volume upside of Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller, um, largely because it's a run-leaning offense. I, again, I think it's going to be more run-leaning whenever Trey Lance gets in there. And, you know, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, pretty solid wide receiver tandem. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see Kittle soaking up like 25% of the 49ers targets. So, you know, we have Kittle tight end three, uh, you know, just behind Darren Waller, pretty big gap uh, behind Travis Kelsey. But again, it's just because of our target projections for those guys. Who I like, I'm not chasing anybody hard from this 49ers offense. I think among the pass catchers, though, I'm still most interested in George Kittle, even in that round two range. And he can get into round three pretty regularly in like an underdog draft. I think I agree with you on the the volume upside. I don't think that he has near the target ceiling of Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and probably not even the target ceiling this year of TJ Hawkinson. But I do think that he'll be in 100 plus target territory if he's healthy. And there is that upside to maybe catch 10 touchdowns if things just break a little right. It doesn't have to be outlandishly in his favor to get to that level. So that's where I see the upside for him. Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver 23, you know, maybe he scores okay for that range, but that's got him just ahead of Adam Thielen, Tyler Lockett, T. Higgins, even Kenny Galladay, and just behind Cooper Cup and Deontay Johnson. So at that range, I'm not doing anything more than taking one or two token shares of Brandon Ayuk just to make sure I don't miss out if he is something special. Yeah, so Trey Lance is my favorite target here. Uh, again, at least at the FFPC ADP we have right now at quarterback 23. No one else pops as like a big value if you compare ADP versus our rankings. But I do want to get pieces of this offense because I do – think it has a big ceiling when you just look at, you know, Kyle Shannon, I do think is one of the better play callers in the NFL. And I think that the pass catching talent along with Trey Lance's upside, you know, it's, it, it, it's exciting. I think that, yes, you know, could be a top five, top six, seven type of offense this season. And I think for the prices you're getting these guys that you could get a nice profit there. The one, the one guy I'm not taking is Brandon Ayuk. I think at wide receiver 24, I think he is one of the more overvalued wide receivers right now. I, I agree with that. And I think kind of switching over to the, who I don't side I can see taking pieces of the offense. To me, the pieces, though, uh, are Trey Lance or Trey Sermon at his price, which, again, I think is fair right now. But if he hits, he could be a top 12 running back just because of the surroundings if the offense is that good. And George Kittle, because I do think the the upside takes him all the way to, to tight end one. I'm not so interested in Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. I think if you're comparing them, then Debo Samuel is more interesting. But he's also going just ahead of Curtis Samuel, Antonio Brown, LaVisca Chenault. Brandon Cooks, you know, could he outscore all those guys for sure? But I don't think he's ahead of all those guys. I think it's a fair range for Debo Samuel. And again, I'm, I'm getting pieces of him, Kittle, uh, Sermon, I'm with you there. And then again, uh, Trey Lance is someone I'm, I'm loading up on right now. Seattle Seahawks to round things out here. And the relevant coaching change is that offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer is gone after three years as the Seahawks coordinator. The team ranked second, third, and then 17th in rushing attempts under him. 32nd, 23rd, and then 17th in pass attempts. 47% pass, 54%, I'm sorry, 47% uh, pass, then 54% in 2019, then 60% last year. Even in just the 12 wins uh, for last season, they were about 57% pass. So the Seahawks leaned more pass last season, a lot more than they did in the previous two seasons under Brian Schottenheimer. Now, we had the breakup of Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer in the offseason. The short version of that story that we got was that Schottenheimer and Carroll disagreed over how much to lean on the run. You know, maybe that's the case, but let's look at the actions on the other side of that. Seattle hired Shane Waldron as the new offensive coordinator. He does come from a run-friendly 
Rams offense, but he was the passing game coordinator there. Spent three years in that role, spent one as the tight ends coach, all under Sean McVay, also worked with McVay in Washington. Seattle spent its first draft pick on Dwayne Eskridge, a wide receiver in round two, one of just three draft picks that they made in total this year. They allowed Chris Carson to hit the open market before re-signing him. They let Carlos Hyde walk. They added nothing to the backfield. So Rashad Penny stands as the number two running back right now. And they signed tight end uh, Gerald Everett on the open market who worked under Shane Waldron with the Rams. So I think all of that suggests to me that we should not expect all that different a run pass split versus last year's team. Maybe there's a little bit more of a lean toward the pass. At the moment, I think my expectation is just kind of similar to what we got last season. I'm with you that the more I've looked at what the Seahawks did, because the first thing we heard in the offseason was they want to run the ball more. So I think yeah, that kind of sticks with you. But really, every, as you as you mentioned, everything else they've done since suggests, you know, they, they might still lean towards the pass. Now, the, the scary thing is last year, if you remember the first half of the season, they were one of the pass heaviest teams in the NFL. They had a 62 percent situation neutral pass rate in their first eight games. That was sixth highest in the NFL over the final eight. It was down to 57% situation neutral pass rate. That was 22nd in the NFL. So, you know, hopefully they don't stick with what they did in the second half of the season. I I, I do think, you know, I have them at 58.5% pass for this season, uh, which again is slightly lower than where, where they finished last season, but higher than what we saw over the second half of last season. This team is never going to go pass heavy. I mean, clearly that's where Pete Carroll wants it, and it might frustrate Russell Wilson, but that's what this team is. I settled on 57 43. Middle of the league, it's Rams territory. I think it would satisfy everybody involved. We've heard Tyler Lockett talk up the new offense. You know, it's tough to know in May and June what that means. But if a wide receiver is happy with the new offense in the early days, it doesn't say to me that the new coach came in and said, we're going to pound the rock and you guys are going to have to block. So I'm not too worried about it. And I'm less worried because we're talking about a wonderfully efficient pass offense. Usually we had a bad second half from Russell Wilson and well, let's go ahead into QB notes now because we did have a bad second half from Russell Wilson. But if we look at his history overall, there has been a whole lot more good than bad. Yeah. And, and I, I want to believe, and I think I do believe that, that he's going to bounce back. I mean, he, you know, he is, he's like, I think he's like 33 or 34 now. So it wouldn't be shocking if kind of, you know, last year was the beginning of a decline, but I, I'm more inclined to believe he's going to bounce back. Like you said, he's been good for so long. The, the guy's been a top 12 fantasy quarterback in all nine of his NFL seasons. He still has one of the best wide receiver duos at his disposal. I think he got a tight end upgrade that we'll talk about in Gerald Everett. So I, I'm still in on Russell Wilson, um, especially I think it, it is at a fair cost as uh, quarterback seven in, in ADP right now. Yeah, he only turned 32 late last November. So I, that's not even old for a quarterback at this point. Yeah. Um, if the Seahawks thought Russell Wilson was slipping, they definitely could have traded him this offseason. They did not do so. I mentioned the other moves that they have made that could be viewed as favoring some passing. You know, like I said, slipped in the second half. He was awful. <laughs> Many of my fantasy teams, especially – um, best ball teams in like the uh, DS Invitational, for example, suffered for Russell Wilson's second half uh, slide. But I'm going to lean more on what he has done career-wise. And even with that bad second half, he's coming off a career-high touchdown total, 40 touchdown passes. It's the third time in his career he's cracked 7% touchdown passing rate. Um, he's perennially top shelf in that category. So a 7% touchdown rate is a number that you would normally say, oh, that guy's going to regress. He can't do that again. Russell Wilson is over 6% every year. He's hit 7% three times. Last year's rate was not even the highest of his career. So he's somebody who can repeat that kind of efficiency. He's a top six quarterback for me this year. 
And there's at least a small gap behind that group for the rest of the position. So uh, all that has turned in, turned Russell Wilson into a, a decent draft value for me. I think all the quarterbacks are going a little bit more, uh, a little bit earlier than I would like them to. So that chips away at it a bit, but I, I'm fine with where, where Russell Wilson is going relative to everybody else. Yeah. Sixth, seventh round. I definitely think he, he makes sense. If you can land him there. Uh, w- one last interesting note I came across when doing uh, Wilson's profile, he has finished top two in pass attempts into the end zone in four straight seasons. Now that's according to pro football focus. So, you know, you talk about that touchdown rate that has a lot to do with it. He's, he's just getting chances to throw touchdowns, which came as a surprise to me considering again, you know, this has been, you know, not, not one of the past heaviest offenses, but despite that um, they, they do throw a lot when they get near the end zone. Yep, an efficient offense that trusts its quarterback and hasn't been dominated in the backfield. We'll move to the running back notes now. Chris Carson does stick around, as I mentioned, re-signed on a two-year deal after testing the free agent market. He stays in a good situation. Last year, obviously dealt with injuries, and that had really chipped away at his season. But over his 11 full games, he had 51.8% of the team's carries, 12% of the team's targets. That would have ranked eighth and fifth among all running backs for the entire season at those numbers. And I think there's room beyond that carry share. That's less than what he had gotten in previous seasons with Seattle. I mentioned Carlos Hyde is gone. Rashad Penny looks like the number two, looks like the favorite to be the number two right now. He's not fully healthy yet. He had a knee cleanup after basically missing all of last year with the aftermath of the ACL tear the year before. We've already seen Chris Carson deliver fantasy numbers when healthy in the past. So we know that he can play when he gets the ball. Yeah, I mean, Penny's a big question mark. Um, you know, despite the fact that Seattle let Carson test the market. They gave him two years, 10.4 million. You know, that makes him one of the 15 highest paid running backs in the NFL in terms of average annual salary. So it, it, it says that he's returning as the lead back. As you said, you know, he he's produced his scoring averages in his healthy games over the past three seasons would rank him eighth among running backs in PPR points and seventh in non PPR. So you're, you're basically getting an RB one when this guy's been healthy and yeah, you got to expect him to miss games. But I mean, we know, most running backs, you know, come with a fair amount of injury risk. So I, I think Carson is, you know, again, as he's been the past couple of years, a pretty nice value where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, he's climbed since early drafting when we didn't know for sure where Chris Carson would be playing before he re-signed. I wish that I had taken more Chris Carson in that range. But still, even now, RB19 and FFPC drafts, I think he's undervalued at that point. I'll take a couple missed games if you're going to give me RB10 scoring the rest of the time. The only reason I don't have more of him is because I, I love the wide receivers in that range. And, you know, if I open running back, running back, I'm probably taking a wide receiver over Chris Carson. But if you're looking for a running back, you know, in that third or fourth round, I think he he's one of your best options. Yeah. And he can be a reason that you it, let's say you are drafting in the second half of round two and you're like, should I take the next running back or should I take one of these young wideouts? Take the young wideout, get Chris Carson in round three and you'll be all right. I think both the reason that you mentioned and the fact that Miles Sanders is lingering in around three and there are a couple other guys in that mix now have kept me from getting more Chris Carson, but I, I want to make myself get more Chris Carson from this point forward. Agreed. Behind Carson, no thanks for me on Rashad Penny, at least until we get to August and he's healthy and generating some buzz. Yeah, remember his knee injury, it was more than just an ACL tear. We never got details, but it was a multi-ligament injury. He was only able to play three games last year before he suffered a setback and, and was sidelined for the playoffs. And then, as you mentioned, had another knee surgery this offseason. So, I mean, there's just a chance we, we never get, you know, the pre-knee injury Rashad Penny. And then you have, what is it, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer. Is Alex Collins still on the roster? I mean, we don't, we don't know. I don't know. think he's officially there right now. 
I mean, we, we, we just don't, you, you kind of wish you could gamble on a Seahawks running back behind Carson because of Carson's injury, but there's just, um, because of Carson's injury history, but you know, we just, it's just too many question marks right now. Yeah. It's Carson and chill for me in that backfield right now. Pass catcher notes. I was wary of DK Metcalf's round two price before I did projections this draft season. He ranked a uh, 10th among all wideouts though in target share last year, even with Tyler Lockett tied for eighth in that category, 12% touchdown rate for DK Metcalf. It's high, but it's not outlandish when you consider who he's playing with the situation he's in. You know, we mentioned Russell Wilson's an all timer in terms of touchdown efficiency. They throw the ball into the end zone a lot. And this is the big guy just heading into his third season. So 12% touchdown rate is repeatable for DK Metcalf. Just five players saw more end zone targets than Metcalf last year. And one of those five was Tyler Lockett. Metcalf's heading into just his third season after really, honestly, none of us knew what to expect from him because he went to the end of round two. So even the NFL was like, uh, yeah, he's big and athletic, but I can't be sure about this kid. We can be sure about him at this point. So basically I hit early draft season Wary of DK Metcalf, also wary of Justin Jefferson, where they were going. After projections time, profiles time, I feel just fine about both at cost. Yeah, Metcalf gets in the third round too, plenty. So I, I, I think he's going at a fair price right now. You mentioned the end zone targets. He was also top eight among wide receivers in red zone targets and targets inside the 10-yard line. He was third among all wide receivers in air yards. So his usage last year was just awesome. Interesting too that, you know, Lockett, and we'll get to him, so volatile, especially last year. And he, he's really, he's been that way really the past couple of years. Metcalf, a lot more reliable. He, and this is um, from your wide receiver scoring review. He finishes a top 36 wide receiver in 12 of his 16 games last season. That was tied for third most at the position. Um, so he, he was more reliable, I think, than you'd expect on a weekly basis. Yeah, you mentioned Tyler Lockett. We all know I love him at this point, but his scoring was top heavy last year. Three games of 30 plus PPR points that included week 17. So that one probably snuck by a lot of fantasy owners. Um, The scoring was a little bit more dispersed in 2019, but he also had the spike weeks there. A couple of them over 30 uh, PPR points, more evenly spread in 2018. So we'll see if we get back to more of that from Tyler Lockett, or if this is just how it's going to be now that DK Metcalf is kind of overtaking the number one wide receiver role in Seattle. And the way that Russell Wilson's always talked about Metcalf, it would not be surprising to see Metcalf continue ascending there and maybe draw a larger share of targets this year. Basically, though, we're talking about a consistently good wideout in Tyler Lockett with strong catch efficiency in terms of catch rate and also that top shelf quarterback by efficiency that we mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it was really late in the season that Lockett struggled. Um, he finished outside the top 36 wide receivers in five of his final six games. You know, that, that coincided with the downturn in, in Russell Wilson's production too. Lockett still turns just 29 in September, so I'm not worried about him, like, declining yet. Seahawks gave him a big new four-year deal in March. Um, it made Lockett the 10th highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. So I, I think he's going to remain a huge part of this passing game. Uh, wide receiver 23 in ADP. Even if he stays volatile, like if you can get a guy who's going to give you two or three week winning performances at that price tag, I think it's worth it. Even if he's going to give you, you know, three or four duds. Right. Most wide receivers are volatile. So if we can have a guy that has upside all the way to 50 PPR points, then I'll go ahead and take that guy. I finished 12th in points per game last year, 22nd, 25th the year before the two years before that wide receiver 23 and ADP. So at the very least, I think you have to say he's fairly priced at the five, six turn in FFPC drafts. Yep. Agreed.
I'm not interested in any other wideout on this team. We'll see what Dwayne Eskridge does, but even for a best ball roster, he doesn't excite me. Gerald Everett, I think, is a solid option, though, at tight end. You have to like the history with the new offensive coordinator, especially because the Seahawks signed him right after hiring that OC. So clearly they were like, Shane, what do you think of Gerald Everett? And they were like, yeah, let's bring him in. Will Disley's receiving role decreased last year. He finally stayed healthy. He saw fewer targets than he had over his previous couple of years. Seattle mid-pack and tight end target share the past two years, but Jacob Hollister's gone. Greg Olson's gone. Those guys accounted for about 71% of Seattle's tight end targets last year. Yeah, um, they've been right around league average in tight end target share, around 19, 19.5%. But the tight ends as a group um, have combined for 101 and then 108 total targets over the past two seasons. You know, with Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf there. So there's plenty of opportunity here. Um, you know, Everett did sign just a one-year deal, but it was fully guaranteed and for six million bucks. So pretty nice deal, like a contract. I think that says you know he should be the starter, and he to me is still an interesting prospect. Like he was mostly disappointing with the Rams just because you know he he was always sharing time with Tyler Higby, but he's performed pretty well in the efficiency stuff. Uh, 13th in yards per route run in 2019, 18th. Uh, and yards per route run this past season. He was the 44th overall pick of his draft. Uh, you know, he was a catch first tight end in college, tested as an 88th percentile athlete. So now I wouldn't be surprised if, if the move to Seattle, you know, leads to uh, what could be a you know, pretty uh, easily his, his career best stat line. Yeah, I definitely like Everett better than I did any Seattle tight end last summer. I think there's nice upside where you can get him. Yep. Uh, who, I, who do you like, Jared? Who do you like in the Seattle offense for drafts? Uh, I think Carson and Lockett are my two favorite targets. Again, I, I think you know Carson. If you're looking for a running back in that range, I still like the receivers over him. You know, straight up. If you're looking for, if you opened wide receiver, wide receiver, or whatever, I do think Carson's a value. And Tyler Lockett at wide receiver twenty three. Again, I think for the weekly upside he gives you, I think you know he's well worth it, especially now, right now when we're in best ball season. Yes, definitely. As I said, Carson's a guy I want to draft more. I wish I had drafted more to this point, but I will more going forward. I think the the value on Wilson relative to the rest of the quarterbacks in that range helps me with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in stacking the QB with either of those wideouts. You know, you can't call Metcalf a value where he's going because he's in round two a lot of the time. Round three, I think he's a better value. But Russell Wilson, among those top six quarterbacks on my board, is – maybe the most likely to slide beyond where I rank him and thus present some value. So I think that adds value in stacking him with either of the wide receivers who I think are at worst appropriately priced. Yeah. There are drafts where Wilson will go, you know, a full round or even more behind, you know, the Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson group. So he definitely could turn out to be the best value of that, you know, top end of quarterback. Anybody that you don't like from this offense? Um, No, Dwayne Eskridge. And if you're reaching for the rookie uh, number three wide receiver, then you know it's a pretty good spot for fantasy values right now. Yep. That's going to do it for this NFC West preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. See where we rank all these guys we've discussed on this show, as well as every other fantasy-relevant player. Check out our in-depth profiles for each guy. And even if you're not a DS insider, you can head to DraftSharks.com. Check the ADPs. They're up to date. You can see how the market is valuing these players or the guys that you prefer. We'll be back next week and throughout the summer to run through the rest of the divisions. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at DraftSharks, and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.